This is LEC Online Church. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. This week I'm going to skip forward a little bit in uh, Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7. I'm actually going to start reading in Matthew chapter 6. So if you would please stand. It's going to be a long passage of scripture. That's okay. I'll try to get through it as quick as I can. I'm, le- I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, so if you don't have the New Living Translation, you can go ahead and read it on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. As we've said, this is part of the middle of uh, Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically one of Jesus' longest sections of teaching throughout all of the Bible. And these are words that he's, uh, he's preaching to the people. Uh, he kind of set the stage in Matthew chapter 5 for what he's going to be talking about here in chapter 6. So we're going to be reading verses 1 to 18. And it says this, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Verse 3, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything, talking about God, who sees everything, will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. How many of you are thankful for that? Verse 9, pray like this, and this is the Lord's Prayer that many of you probably know. It's probably going to be recited a little differently than what you're used to. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen to that. Give us the, the food that we, today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we for, have forgiven those who sins, sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For you, if you forgive, verse 14, Jesus continues, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive those others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We could stop there and do a a sermon just on those two verses. But we're going to continue. Verse 16, and when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and deceitful, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. Verse verse 17, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. This morning I want to talk to you on the topic, the real deal. The real deal. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your presence. It's already here with us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would just touch us, and Lord, I just pray that this word would be words that are not mine, but your word that you have for the congregation here this morning, and I just pray that it would penetrate even the hardest of hearts this this morning. Thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for what you've already done in this place, and I just pray that you would just continue to do a work, spill everything out of me that doesn't belong, 
and fill me with your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated and tell somebody, be the real deal. I told Katie that I'm not going to sing this week. You guys are all thankful for that, I'm sure. How many of you hate to see ads on TV that don't match the actual product that you get? You hate to see that? You're like watching something maybe on YouTube or on TV and a commercial comes on and they're introducing the latest and greatest hamburger and they, sh they show like all this and it's like this big juicy hamburger and you're like becoming hungry and you go to, you go to like McDonald's or something and you're expecting this huge juicy hamburger and all of a sudden you're waiting in the, uh, well they already jumped forward there. That's what the hamburger would look like right there. If you like pickles, you can have pickles. That's actually a picture of a quarter pounder with cheese from McDonald's. We're not offering those for Father's Day. Sorry. So you watch the ad on TV, and you're watching the commercial, and you're like, oh, my. That's got three pieces of cheese on it. It's got all those pickles and all that kind of stuff. You're expecting to get that quarter pounder with cheese because that's what the ad showed. But unfortunately, when you go to McDonald's, this is what you end up getting. How many of you have been there before, right? How many of you like Arby's? Anybody like Arby's? A few of you, listen, Arby's just did something that's super spiritual, and they started having mac and cheese with the white cheddar. Give me some praise break for that. How many of you have been watching a commercial for Arby's? Go ahead and pop that next one up on the screen. That's what a beef and cheddar is supposed to look like. You're like, oh, man, that's so good with that cheese just perfectly drizzled over the beef with all that. But unfortunately, this is what you end up getting when you go to Arby's. How many of you would still eat that? Come on, everybody would still eat that. Or how about this? This, is, this isn't food related, so I'm not trying to get you too hungry. You think of family vacation and bringing your whole entire family. You're going to be dancing and gallivanting through, the, through the, the, the beach and all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is this. You end up getting into a food fight. Stress. Hold on there. I'm not saying any of my family vacations have turned out like that. Right, dear? We love family vacations. But no, it's, it's, but there you understand. And then, listen, when Katie was growing up, she was said that, you know, she watched things on TV saying that this would be your Prince Charming who you would marry. Go ahead and look up that. Aw, he's so looking like he's so good looking. So dapper. Unfortunately, this is who she ended up marrying. It's your boy! That's me! Right there. And I'm just thankful throwing that axe that I actually made it on the board right there. Because, you know, you're supposed to go for the middle of the target. That is not the middle of the target. Unfortunately, we learn a lesson from these advertisements where we have something and that we expect to get it. But we learn that ads can be deceiving, but what you actually get is what matters, right? You hate being deceived and you're just, oh, I want that quarter pounder with cheese, but you go there expecting and ads deceive you, but what you get is what truly matters. It just reminds me of the, a couple of weeks ago, or actually it was probably a couple of months ago, I got something in the mail. Have you guys ever gotten those things where it comes from like a car dealership and if you scratch it off with the key, you get a free car? Yeah, I fell victim to that, unfortunately. I scratched it off three cars. I had to call my father-in-law and be like, is this real? He's like, no, read the fine print. Unfortunately, it's not real. We need to be careful to be in being deceived by deceptive packaging. Unfortunately, this, pro this principle does not just apply to products that we buy, but people as well. 
This, this principle applies to people. It's, it's at times people like advertisers tend to put on a deceptive front to make others believe that they are something that they're not. They, they put on this deceptive clothing and, and, and put on a facade to say, I'm the real deal, and you advertise that to the world, but in reality, that's not who you are. Unfortunately, social media has kind of uh, elevated this game so much more, right? You get frustrated when you see people taking those perfect pictures on social media, and you're like, oh, man, well, that's such a perfect picture, such a perfect scene. And we've talked about the picture of the Lamas family at Christmas time several times now, but it mimics every other family. It's like, if you would have only known that that was like the 12th or 13th time we told my whatever to, to smile correctly, 17 times. Lord have mercy. But with the advancement of social media, it's becoming easier and easier for people to put on a deceptive front. For people to say, this is the real deal, but really, whenever you get to know somebody, you find that that is not the case. You're like, well, wait a second. This doesn't match the person that I perceived you to be on social media. When you posted that picture or you made, posted that status where hashtag believe, hashtag Jesus, hashtag Christian, you're not acting like any of those things. It's become so easy for us to put on this facade of being a person who is a real person or a real one. And unfortunately, when you take that facade off, we're hurting and broken inside. The reason why we do that is because we think what is on the outside is what matters. But God's not interested in what is on the outside. This is not to say you look like a scrum all the time and all that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But God is interested in what is truly happening in your life on the inside. He wants you to be a real one, and he wants what happens on the inside to be matched with what happens on the outside. He doesn't want you walking through life deceiving people, saying, well, you must be a really Christian, when in reality, you're struggling, and on the inside, you're dying, and you're just putting on this fake front for people to see. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, the passage we just read, which basically sets the stage for the entire passage following that. It says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. When Jesus said this, he understood that the people in which he was talking to had become so good at deceiving others. They had become so good at doing things on the outside that did not match what was on the inside. They'd become it so good at making it appear as though everything on the outside was all together and perfect, but on the inside, they were actually dying. And in fact, when Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, he talked about those people a lot. He called the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, he actually compared them to white tombs, looking good on the outside, but dying on the inside. And Jesus was warning us, he's saying, don't let your good deeds be done publicly so that you will be rewarded in public. Don't be a fake person. Be a real person. People back then when Jesus was talking were not doing things for the sake of God getting the glory. They were doing things for the sake of themselves getting the glory. And as a church, this should be a warning to us. We should be warned by this. We should be warned by the words of Jesus. We need to make sure that when we come here and we do the things that we do, we make it appear as though we have everything all together on the outside while on the inside we are dying. 
Our goal here at Lake Erie Church, and your goal as a Christian or a person, should not be to impress others. Our goal here at Lake Erie Church, and your goal as a Christian and as a person, should do everything that you can to draw closer to God yourselves and bring people with you. But if people are looking at you and not looking at God, that's really hard to do. Let me just say this. It's Father's Day. We need men in our society to stand up and be the real men that God has called them to be. We need fathers to stand up and be the fathers that God has called them to be. We need, listen, if you don't have any kids and you're, and you're a man, he needs you to stand up and be a man. Listen, I'm so thankful for the many different people in my life who God used and raised up, who became the, the example of what a man is supposed to be. And I look to those people as an example. So we need, especially now, more than ever, we're, we're Marriages are being split apart where people aren't going to church anymore. We need men to be the head of the household that God has called you to be and bring your kids to church. I don't care if you're bringing them kicking and screaming. You need to get them in church. Now more than ever, we need men to do that. Listen, I'm not saying women can't do that. Listen, I'm so thankful that my mom, who was a single mother for a large portion of my life, brought me to church. She made sure I was at church. Thank you so much. Women who, who rock the world as a single parent, thank you so much for that. But listen, God has called men. He's called husbands. He's called fathers to be the head of the household, and you need to do that. Come on, somebody. It's Father's Day. Stop putting on the title of father, but die and not actually, oh, he looks like a perfect dad. Look at that picture on Facebook. Aw. But in, rea in reality, everything other than that picture is just terrible. Be the men. Be the fathers that God has called you to be. Side note. Back to what I was going to say. As a church, we need to be the church that God has called us to be. We need to not be a church full of fake people. We need to not be a church. Thanks. Love you, Asubio. I'll preach it just because you said I could. I got his permission, Pastor. You heard it. We need a church to not be full of fake people who come in and put on the facade of being a fake Christian but walk away, and they're just a completely different person. Listen, we need to be a church that brings people to Jesus and not try to impress them, but tries to get them into a lasting and makes them have a genuine, I'll tell you what, this morning we had a genuine encounter with the Lord. Awesome. It was an awesome encounter. That's the goal. That's what we should be doing as a church. And if we're not doing that, we need to reconsider what we're doing. We should not be a church that's here exclusively for worship. Even though our worship, Pastor Jerome, rocked it. And we rock it here in worship. And some people come and are drawn to this church because of worship. But even though our worship is good, it shouldn't be a, a church that's exclusively about worship. It shouldn't be a, a church that's known for its good preaching. Even though when Pastor Bill preaches, we have good preaching. And Asubio and Jason, when others, Sister Tracy, when you guys preach, it's awesome. But even though our preaching is good, we shouldn't be known exclusively for that. We shouldn't be known. How many of you had some coffee this morning? Everybody has some coffee in the church, right? Bless the name of the Lord. I hate coffee, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Somebody can have my cup later. We shouldn't be known for as a church that gives coffee or is just kind to people. When people come to Lake Erie Church, it should be because we show off how great God is and how much of an encounter with him can change your life 
forever. Yes, that is accompanied by good preaching. Yes, that is accompanied by good worship. Yes, that's accompanied even by good coffee, even though I don't know what that is. It's accompanied by those things. But if we're just focusing exclusively on those things to try to impress people and not in, uh, leading people to have an encounter with the Lord, then we're doing something wrong. We're putting on a facade saying we're the perfect Christian. We're the perfect people. But God is saying, hey, <laughs> I know what you're like on the inside. You need to be the real ones. I don't know about you, Lake Erie Church, and if you're in this building, you're part of this church, I want God to look at me and say, hey, there's one of my real ones. There's one of my real ones, right? There's one of my real ones. There's one of my real children. That's that person right there is the real deal. Jesus was serious about people being the real deal. And the lesson of Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 18 is that we need to pursue God for who God is not to impress other people. I'll tell you what, when I was, when I was preparing this message, Jason, and I'm sure you've been there, brother, when you've been preparing, listen, this, this message checked me. Everything that we do should not be, listen, and even there's times when you do this and you don't even realize that you're doing it. What you do shouldn't be to impress people. What you do should be leading people to Jesus. What you do should be saying, hey, I want to get closer to God and I want to bring you with me. We need to be pursuing God for who God is, not to impress others. Like I said, it's not to say that we can't have good worship preaching and coffee, but if we do all those things and don't bring people to Jesus, it's pointless. So what does it look like to be the real deal? I'm glad you asked me that question, even though you didn't. In this passage, Jesus provides us with three case studies in which we can focus on and see whether or not we're the real deal. The first case study is this, giving to the poor. After Jesus said that admonition of watch out, make your good deeds not be public, he says this, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. In Jewish tradition, the giving to those in need was something that was highly praised. When Jews found out that other Jews were in need, they, they were highly respected if they gave to those who were in need. So the Jews would make it actually a point. If someone was in need, they would make it a point to say almost like, hey, hey, come here, come here, watch this. I'm going to give this guy $100. I'm going to give this guy food to help feed his family. Because it was highly respected, and they were giving so that they could receive praise from other people. They wanted to be praised and respected by their peers. They would announce it, literally, yeah, they wouldn't blow trumpets, as the passage says, but they would announce it so loud, look what I did. I just gave to this person. I just gave to the poor, and they're no longer poor. And they would announce it publicly so that all the glory would come to themselves. Jesus was obviously opposed to this type of giving. Jesus was opposed to it so much so that he called those who gave in such a way hypocrites. Hypocrites, those who do things on the outside but really don't have it all right on the inside. What I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just say that something's wrong. He gives us instruction as to how we should do it right. Right? 
And he does that here with giving. He says, in the wrong way, the next slide there, in the wrong way, people who give, in the wrong way, they draw attention to themselves as a giver, saying, ha-ha, I gave this amount of money. And they receive public, as a result, adulation and applause. That's the wrong way to give. It kind of reminds me of this meme that I saw the other day. You ever see a picture like that? Like I said, the advancement of social media has made it so much more difficult to do these things. That's a picture of somebody taking a picture or a video of giving to people in need. It's not, listen, this is not to say that when you do things that you shouldn't bring honor and praise to God. But if you see it too many times where people are only giving for the sake of being rewarded and being praised publicly, that they're giving for all the wrong reasons. Oh, i got to get this video. This video's got to be this and all that kind of stuff. And I love the advancement of technology that allows us to see, like we saw last week, we've seen what we gave to the, the orphanage in the Ukraine. We wouldn't be able to know the, the results of our gift if we didn't have video to accompany that. But unfortunately, some people take that and they corrupt their giving. Look what I gave. I gave $500 to help the kids go to camp. And you want the attention to be drawn to yourself. And the Lord says, that's not what it means to be a true giver. And if you give in such a way, you're going to receive the praise and adulation from people, but that's it. That's it. You may be feeling good for the moment, but that's all that you'll receive. And then Jesus says, that's the wrong way, but there is a right way to give. And he says this, give in secret. The result of this is that your award is eternal and between you and God. I can, I'm thinking right now of several instances in which I've been able to be a blessing in other people that I would probably never tell anybody. And it's just amazing to think how, how even though there's no cameras around, even though I'm not taking a selfie, it's amazing to think how rewarded I feel even though nobody else knows. Do you know why you feel that way? If you give in, in secret in such a way that Jesus wants you to, it's because God sees what you're doing. God sets up those moments for you to be able to be obedient to him and giving in such a way to where he's like, hey, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Done in the right way, giving could not possibly be done to impress, impress anyone but God himself. Martin Luther, quote, this is a quote from Martin Luther. I didn't get a chance to get it on the screen. It says this, Martin Luther, uh, he said, We should give with singleness of heart, which means that the heart is not desirous of gaining honor and reputation from it, but is moved to contribute freely regardless of whether it makes an impression and gains the praise of other people. Make sure when you give, listen, I'm not trying to correct you in how you're giving, but you need to make sure that the motive in which you give, every time you give, the motive in which you give is correct. The motive in which you give to other people, whether it's time, energy, finances, the motive in which you give needs to be correct because God sees it anyway, Sister Betty. He sees it anyway. And he wants to honor that, and you just have to be careful how you give. Be the real deal. Everybody say, real deal. He then goes on to a second case study in prayer. He says this in, in verses 5 to 8. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites again who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that this is all the reward they will ever get. 
But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask them. In Jewish tradition, the posture of one's prayer was very, very important. Very often, when Jews prayed, they did so standing up. However, they were sure whenever they prayed, even though they were standing up, they were sure that when they prayed, they didn't do so on a pedestal or anything that elevated. Listen, it's kind of ironic that I'm saying this standing on a stage. (laughs) But I'm getting to my point here. They didn't stand on a pedestal or elevate themselves because they were very nervous that if they elevated themselves at all, they would be elevating themselves above what people thought of as God. So they were very careful to do that. They did not stand on a pedestal. And the reason why is because they didn't want people to see themselves as above God. However, there were some Jewish people who took that and said, well, guess what? I want people to hear my prayer. I want people to see that I'm praying. I want people to, 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 to hear the words that I'm saying. And, and they, would, they would actually make it a public thing that they were praying. They prayed at length and they used phrases and words, thou art this, all this, and all that, and made themselves look smart and holy. This brought attention to themselves. And they said, wow, that person's a good prayer. Have you ever, like, heard someone pray and say, wow, that's a really good prayer? Am I the only one who's ever said that? Man, the words that they use, that's a good prayer. Jesus says that this is not how we pray. Bear with me. The hypocrites pray like that. Jesus says that the wrong way to pray, and if you pray in that way, go to the next slide, you pray to impress other people. And the result of that prayer is we impress others, but there's no sustenance to our prayer. We can say all the fluff we want and to impress other people, but there's really no sustenance to that type of prayer. Jesus then goes on to say that people need to pray in secret, which is the right way. And in secret, God is impressed and he hears the answers, the prayer. That prayer may not be the way that you want God to answer your prayer, but God answers the prayer in your secret prayer life. This isn't to say that there's something wrong with public prayer, but... Public prayer should be succeeded by or should succeed private prayer. I love how he says to go away in secret. Find a secret place. Go away to your hiding place and spend time with the Lord. I never really fully understood the significance of a hiding place in prayer until a couple of years ago. We had just, I think it was probably three or four years ago, we, I was going through a very difficult time in my life. It wasn't a health crisis. I was just constantly been, being bombarded by negative thoughts and, and all these kind of things that was keeping me up at night. And I was just constantly being beat over the head by the devil saying that you're not supposed to be a pastor. What are you doing? All this kind of stuff. And I was, there were moments in my life in that time where I felt like I was depressed and I was just anxious. I didn't want to do anything. And, and, and I just didn't know what to do. So you know what I ended up doing? I found a closet in my house. I found a closet in my house, and you know what? I said, Lord, I'm going to go pray in my private place. I closed that door, and I went one-on-one with God. 
And I closed that door, and I, I just started praying. I just started unleashing everything that I was going through. I just started telling God about everything that I was going through. And it, the prayer lasted probably like 45 minutes to an hour, and I didn't even realize it. And I just was emptying myself before the Lord. And you know what? I never have felt God's presence more than when I was in my secret place of prayer. There's nothing wrong with us praying up here on stage. There's nothing wrong with you saying the words of prayer uh, through a microphone and all that kind of stuff. But if your prayer that is done in public is not genuine and it does not, is not succeeded or does not succeed private prayer, then your prayer is nothing. Does that make sense? How many of you have a private prayer life that you're like, oh man, no matter what it is I'm going through. You have a secret hiding place in your prayer room. It's important for you to have your private prayer, a bunch of peas there all at one time. Your private prayer life needs to come before your public prayer life. You can say all the fancy words you want to say. What I love about this passage, though, is that Jesus says that, and then he gives us a prayer that we're to pray. You guys know the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You can say it along with me if you want. Thy will be done. Earth that is in heaven. What I love about that prayer is that prayer is fully and completely dependent upon God. Takes the attendance or the attention off of us and puts it on God. And that's what your prayer should do. I'm fully confident that there's we have a prayer team at this church that meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays and, and they also help. Uh, during the altar time, I'm fully confident that those people have a private prayer life. That way, whenever I come up to them, I know that the Lord is going to hear their prayers. God doesn't want you to pray so that everybody can see it and say, wow, you're cool. That was an awesome prayer. You need to have your prayers that are public be preceded by those that are private. The third case study and the last one that Jesus talks about here is fasting. He says in 16, verses 16 to 18, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and deceivled, so people, am I saying that word right, deceivled? Thank you, Sister Marion. Disheveled. So people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that th that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Verse 18, and no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. In Jewish tradition, fasting was something that they, they constantly would do if, like, they, uh, if there was a war or, or famine that was coming. They would give up their food. They would refrain from eating from sunrise to sunset in order to try to focus themselves on God. And in some pagan traditions, people would use fasting to try to get God's attention. They would say, I'm not eating. Look at me. I get all the attention. I'm trying to get my God's attention, so I'm not going to eat. And they would purposely like bruise their faces and all that kind of stuff because they wanted to draw the attention of God, but they also wanted to draw the sympathy of other people. When we fast, we need to make sure that we're fasting with the intent of drawing closer to God. You need to try to put on the best face that you can put on. How many of you have ever fasted before? We're going to talk about some spiritual disciplines here probably coming up in the fall. Some spiritual disciplines. And we believe that it's a spiritual discipline of the church to fast, which means you give up, we, we give up food or different things, and you just take the time that you would commit to doing that, and you commit to your time to prayer. 
And when you're fasting, it's funny, whenever I was younger in youth group, I used to watch a video, Pastor Carson used to show this video of some guy who was fasting, and he looked absolutely miserable while he was fasting. And someone would come up to him and say, hey, why are you upset? He's like, I'm fasting. Don't you know I'm hungry? It's kind of like those hangry commercials, right? Have a Snickers. When we're fasting, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be putting on our best because fasting, if done to impress others, yes, will lead you to be hungry. Yeah, you're going to be hungry. Will lead you to, to, to put on a, a, your countenance to be terrible. But if you're fasting for the real reason of drawing closer to God, if you're drawing closer to God, you should be happier than you've ever been. And if you have that proper motive, your countenance should change. Jesus shows us and tells us about the wrong way in which you fast. In the wrong way, people fast as a performance or as a way to get their God's attention. The result of that is they're noticed by others and they get, oh, he's fasting. Oh, you, you must be so hungry. Man, you are so holy. And we get the sympathy of others, which is, I mean, how many of you like getting sympathy sometimes, right? It's okay. Especially if it's accompanied by no-bake cookies. Come on, somebody. You like to get set, but, but that's where it stops. But if you fast in the right way, people who fast in the right way do so to pursue after God. As a church, we usually set the month of January, and if you're here in January, we're going to probably do it again this year, where we set a time aside in which we designate the first 21 days of January to fasting. Listen, it's done in a public way. We're all committing to it, but it's private in how you decide to fast. And we take those 21 days and say, God, we're going to commit to pursuing after you. We're going to commit to praying. We're going to commit to posturing ourselves to be able to receive what you have for us this coming year. We consecrate that time to the Lord and try to draw closer to the Lord. I'll tell you what, I started doing that a couple of years ago. It's one of the best things. I look forward to it every year. Yeah, sure, I get hungry, which is natural. But I'll tell you what, I feel awesome and, and powerful and empowered after those 21 days. That's how you're supposed to fast. You're supposed to fast not to get the, the, the sympathy of others or the approval of others. You're supposed to fast so that you draw closer to God than you've ever been before. There's a Christian author named Donald Whitney who says this, Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. When we fast, we're not trying to get God's attention say, hey, God, look, I'm fasting. Can you move on my behalf now? Hey, God, look, I'm fasting. Can you do what I need you to do now? No, no, we, we fast because we're saying, hey, I'm giving up that so that I can draw closer to you, Lord. Hey, God, I'm fasting. Did you see I didn't eat those Oreos that I told you 21 days ago that I'd give up? I'm not eating those. You got to answer my prayer now. No, we fast so that we can draw closer to the Lord. And if you're fasting for the wrong intent, just as if you're praying for the wrong intent, and if you're giving for the wrong intent, and if you don't have the purpose in, in your heart and you're not it, truly doing it so that you draw closer to the Lord, it's not a good thing. Jesus called you a hypocrite. I didn't. Jesus did. As people, we need to check ourselves on a daily basis. Is my giving for my glory? Am I praying for my glory? Am I fasting for my glory? Or is it for the Lord's glory? 
I don't know about you, but I don't want God to look at me and say, hypocrite. Imagine. Imagine if you're hearing these words for the very first time. Jesus is preaching this sermon, and he's calling out. He's reading your laundry or your mail. I don't know if you can read your laundry. He's reading your mail, and then he says, you're a hypocrite. Imagine being called a hypocrite. Man, we need to be the real deal. We need to be a church full of people who pray for the purpose of drawing closer to God. We need to be a church full of people who give because we're giving out of the goodness of our heart and because that's what God instructed us to do. We need to be a people who fast, who take time and consecrate and set set aside time to fast because we're trying to draw closer to the Lord. That's what it means to be countercultural in this area. And if we're not, we need to recheck what we're doing. When these ladies come and pray on Tuesdays and Thursdays, if they're praying just so that people can recognize that they're praying and they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And let me just tell you, they're not because I've been in there. I've sat in on some of their prayer sessions. They're praying so that they can draw closer to the Lord and so that we can hear the voice of what the Lord is saying. We need to reconsider and we need to reestablish ourselves as a people who pray, who fast, and who give for the right reasons. Who pray, give, and fast for the right reasons. Because if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, yeah, you sure, you may give a million dollars. And if you have a million dollars, we'll accept that. We have four ways to give. (laughs) The elders would love to see that. But we need to be doing those things with the right intent, with the right motives, with the right spirit. Not so that we can say, I gave a million dollars but so that the, we can be uh, using it to, to posture ourselves to what God has for us. I'm closing, so if Pastor Jerome and the team, if they want to come on up here, uh, I'm just going to share a story here with you that I saw over the past this past week relating to this. It says, a man was standing at the gates of heaven waiting to be admitted. To the man's utter shock, Peter said, You have earned a a thousand points to be admitted into heaven. What have you done to earn those points? The man replied, I've never heard that before, but I think I'll do okay. I was raised in a Christian home. I've always been a part of the church. I have Sunday school attendance pins that go down to the floor. I went to a Christian college, graduated school, and have probably led hundreds of people to Christ. I'm now an elder at the church, and I'm, I'm quite supportive of what, what the people of God do. I have three children, two boys and a girl. My oldest boy is a pastor, and the youngest is a staff person with a ministry to the poor. My daughter and her husband are missionaries. I've always tithed, and now I'm giving well over 30% of my income to God's work. I'm a bank executive and work with the poor in our city trying to get low-income mortgages. The man asked Peter, how am I doing so far? I have to be able to have the thousand points that I need. And Peter said, that's one point. Peter Peter asked the guy, what else have you done? The guy says, good Lord, have mercy. The man said in frustration. And Peter said, that's it. Welcome home. So much that we do, we think that if I give a certain amount or if I pray a certain amount or if I say certain words or if I fast enough, that we're doing it to gain God's approval. 
And we're doing it so that people can look at us and say, wow, you're such a good person. You're such a holy person. But the Lord is saying, and Jesus reminds us here, is that you need to have the right motive in those things. Let me just tell you, you can't pray enough, you can't give enough, and you can't fast enough to get God's approval. I'm going to say that one more time. You can't pray enough, you can't give enough, and you can't fast enough to give God's approval. God already thought that you were good enough. While we were yet sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. Stop giving, stop fasting, and stop, uh, what's the other one? Praying just so you think you can get God's approval. Do it with the right motive. Do it so that you could draw closer to God. Do it so that you can hear what God is saying. Do it so that you can posture yourself to be used by God. Stop trying to gain everybody else's approval. For the love of God, be the real deal. Let's be the real church. We are called the church of God, and sometimes I think we don't quite live up to that. Because we become the church of me. We give so that I look good. We fast so that I can look good to God and other people. And we pray, God, I look so good. We need to have the proper motives in doing those things. Because that's the way the world is. And we're talking about being countercultural. We're supposed to be counter to what the world is doing. If the world says, if you give something, you need to get credit for that. Make sure you put it on your taxes. <laughs> if you pray, you need to get credit for that. And if you fat, and all these things. But the Lord is saying, you need to be doing these things so that you can pursue after me. And be doing these things so that you can receive what I have for you. The Lord has called us to be a praying church. He's called us to be a giving church. He's called us to fasting. He's called us to missionaries and all those things. But none of those things matter if we're doing them with the wrong motives. We need to be the real deal. Because at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, if you're not the real deal, someone will find out. If you're not the real deal, maybe you can go ahead and try to do everything you can to confuse and to, to try to make it so none of us know, but at the end of the day, God knows. We need to be the real deal. I'm not saying we don't give. I'm not saying we don't fast or don't pray. In fact, we're, we're encouraging that, but what I'm saying is you need to be doing it with the right motives. We need to be pursuing after God and using those things to help us in our pursuit. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.